Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod or on our website, DerekandMike.com. My name is Mike. This is my boy, Derek. What's up, Mike? What's up, everybody? Derek, we lost a hero recently. Oh, we did, huh? Bob Saget. Oh, yeah. No, sorry, uh, he's that awesome. I, that I, he's not what I was talking <laughs> okay. about, though. Yeah, you really ruined my entire intro. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's it. That, that's the show for the day. Yeah, I'm I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad you don't think that he's a hero, but um, no, he he would be missed, though. Yeah. Uh, so we, we <laughs> I actually have a story with Bob Saget. Uh, I met him once. It wasn't super eventful, but it's worth mentioning, I guess. Yeah. Um, I was at a comedy club in Hollywood, I think it was um the laugh factory if i remember right long time ago and he was playing he was he was he was doing a set i think he was headlining i'm not really sure if he was or if someone else was but he was there and i was excited to see him because i heard some good stuff about his comedy he's very different than what he was on full house right oh yeah he's a uh, a super edgy if not just flat out vulgar comedian and i like that a lot and uh before the whole show started so they like they heard you all into your seats and they make you sit there for a long time while they heard the rest of the crowd into their seats. So while they were hurting everybody, I went and waited by the bar because they weren't serving drinks yet. So I was just standing by the bar waiting for the bartender to come out so I could buy a few drinks. And since I'm standing in the back of the room by the bar, um, I must have looked like a comedian because I was alone and I'm just standing by the back of the bar, like not talking to anybody. And Bob Saget walked up and he's like, hey, man, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, dude, pretty good. How you doing? He goes, what time's your set? I go, oh, no, no, I'm not performing tonight. I'm just, I'm here to see the show, man. I'm here to see you. And he's like, oh, cool. And he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is was pretty it. cool. That was, yeah. That, that, was, that, was, that was my Bob Saget interaction. Yeah, you do kind of look like a comedian now that I think about it. Well, I, at first I was just kind of like, oh, he thought I was a comedian. I felt kind of good. I was like, yeah. And then I'm like, well, what does that mean? I mean, com- comedians aren't known for being particularly... Uh, Attractive or well adjusted, True. Yeah. or or sound good, or or yeah, yeah. or anything, <laughs> yeah, any 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 good qualities. I'm just kind of or yeah, no, no, I'm teasing. Yeah, or smart. <laughs> I'm teasing. No, but you probably uh, had a hat on, though. You probably had a hat. Did you? Were you? Wearing I always a hat? wear a hat. Yeah, I uh, always wear a hat. Comedians always wear a hat too, right? I would. Yeah, maybe not always, yeah. but it's a typical comedian thing to wear a hat in a comedy club. I would say. Yeah, so at first I like felt good, and then eventually, then I was thinking about it like, well, I don't know what I'm feeling good about, but uh, still cool. It was kind of neat. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's funny. Nice guy. I mean, what a cool guy! Just to kind of, I mean, he was probably coming up to introduce himself to some new uh, unknown comedian who I probably looked nervous standing there alone by the bar. You know, maybe he's like, oh, this guy, like, yeah, maybe I'll go say what's up, make him feel comfortable. Could be, or I mean you tend to be able to make yourself at home in some ways. I mean, I don't say that in a negative way. I mean, but you, uh, you're not scared to venture out. And what I'm thinking about right now is the uh, concert that you and I went to for bad religion where we had the uh, backstage pass and, uh, you're like, fuck it. Let's go. Let's go right now. 
Well, dude, so talk about how that happened. So first, let me just say that Bad Religion is one of my favorite bands of all time. I love Bad Religion to death. And uh, I don't know any of them. I just love their music. And then Derek, who happened to live in, where are you living? Santa Monica? Somewhere uh, in LA. Marina Del Rey. Mm-hmm. Marina Del Rey. And uh, you just happened to make friends with the drummer of Bad Religion. Yeah. So, and, my, uh, well, my wife was a fitness instructor and the drummer's wife worked, I say for us. I mean, she didn't have to work for us. It was more kind of like she was like, uh, she was one of the instructors at our fitness studio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so your wife had a fitness studio and the drummer was like going there with his wife, right? No, no, or he, he didn't, wasn't doing he didn't the fitness, go there, right? but no, my wife was really good friends. It still is good friends with her. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So they were good friends actually for quite some time. Um, All right. Yeah. Are you still in touch with the drummer? He's not the drummer for Bad Religion anymore. He, he moved on and now he is the drummer for Avenged Sevenfold. Uh, his name's Brooks Wackerman. Um, now he's playing for Avenged. Yeah. My, my wife and her, they don't really communicate. I don't think at all, really. Um, but uh, they could if, pick up the phone and uh, it would be like normal, most likely. So you guys were mainly just kind of friendly because your wife's your wife were, was your their wives were friends basically. You and him weren't really friends. You were just like, hey, our wives are hanging, so we might as well talk. And you know, it's it's cordial. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was kind of quiet. And he was kind of yeah. uh, shy. I would yeah. say he didn't strike me as the kind of guy who would be a ripping punk rock drummer. I mean, he was a ripping punk rock drummer. He's a fucking great drummer. Um, but when you think of a punk rock drummer, you think of just a madman, you know? Yeah. Uh, but if you just met that guy and just kind of chatted with him outside of a, a concert venue, he does not strike you as a punk rock drummer, but he was amazing. One of the best. Yeah. You know, he has really long arms and like long, like he definitely does look like kind of <laughs> like, like a drummer, you know? Yeah. 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 But maybe not necessarily like the hardcore drummer, like, Oh, that guy, I bet he fucking kicks ass. You know, he is a little bit quiet, a little bit small. Yeah, um, yeah. But goddamn, is he a powerhouse on the drums? He's fucking amazing. And uh, so, anyway, when you told me, um, I think in passing, very casually, as if it wasn't an atom bomb of news. Uh, oh yeah, by the way, I'm friends with the drummer of Bad Religion, and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I think I fanboyed out and uh, uh, puked my passions all over you for them. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was a pretty big deal to me that that uh, you were friends with the drummer of Bad Religion. Yeah, yeah, and then we went to the concert uh, early at the House of Blues, and uh-huh. you're like, let's just go backstage. We can go backstage because you know Brooks. And uh, we went back there, and um, did we see him initially? No, I don't, well, yeah. No, we just we just no. went back there. So you, you and I were hanging out in the main area of the, the venue before the show hadn't even started, or maybe the opening bands were playing or whatever. We went into the bar, uh... I remember recognizing their guitar player and just, I didn't, I don't think I went up and talked to him. I was a little bit intimidated because they are so great to me. I was just kind of like, Oh dude, Oh my God, that's, that's the guitar player right there. And, uh, you know, you were like, you, you don't care. You're like, Oh yeah, cool, man. Um, you know, you're pretty chill. Yeah. And, uh, I think then, yeah, I, I think I urge you like, let's go backstage. And you were kind of like, ah, oh, you know, really like, uh, whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I probably kind of urged you to go backstage and we had those backstage passes and uh, I think we just went back there, and then backstage was essentially like a patio that ran right along Sunset Boulevard. 
um, but separated by a big space of like bushes. So the patio was visible from the sidewalk, but it was a good ways away from the sidewalk. Um, but that was the backstage, right? Yeah. And we went out there and, and all the bad religion dudes, Brooks was chilling back there, I think with his wife, right? Yep. Um, and then the singer, Greg Graffin, who, uh, is, is so cool and so smart, a great writer. He's a, uh, a professor at, I think UCLA, USC or UCLA. He's a professor of, I'm probably going to get the discipline wrong, but essentially it's like, uh, evolutionary science. Um, he's a, uh, he's a professor there. He's got a doctorate. He's, he's a super interesting guy, writes really cool books. And, uh, I don't think I said anything to Greg. I was a little intimidated by him. Plus he was talking to other people and I didn't want to be the guy that's like, Hey Greg, hi, you're cool. Uh, you know, I didn't really have anything useful or cool to say. So I just kind of looked at him <laughs> such a queer. Yeah. Well, and, uh, we were talking to Kelly, uh, a, a good amount and uh brooks who's, was standing who's kelly is that brooks's wife yeah his wife oh, okay All and right. uh brooks was kind of right there and um and i just remember the lead singer he he was kind of came and went you know he was kind of just in and out uh -huh. from that thing and and i remember him leaving because then uh you know when um a superstar like that leaves you know you just everybody just starts turning their head like oh there he goes look yeah, yeah. there he is like you the know. energy just left the room and everyone's just kind of like, oh, this patio just got less cool. Yeah. And then, uh, then he comes back and we're like, oh, okay, it's happening again. All right, now it's the place to be. Yeah, That's but funny. I remember that guitar player was there too. And then uh, Brooks yeah, was yeah. there. Um, yep. We were just chilling with them like for a little while. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, no, love that band. And then after that, so we chilled there for a little bit and then they came on, played a great show. And uh, um, man... Yeah, you were surprised that I knew all their songs. You were like, "Oh, you, you like you are actually a fan. You know their songs." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, no, dude, I'm a huge fan. I love them. Um, it's everything I can do not to be squealing like a girl right now. I'm trying to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in heaven." Yeah, see, we and we weren't supposed to be backstage in in the beginning. I don't think that uh, our passes afforded us that, but um, we walked back there with uh, reckless abandon. We were just yeah, like, man, yeah, if, we're, we're supposed to be here. Um, um, I, I've I've come to find out uh, over the many, many, many shows that I've played with my band, uh, nowhere near the size of what Bad Religion is doing, but essentially the same, um, the same thing where if you walk past security or just walk into an area like you own the place, like I belong here, you're in my way, uh, nine times out of ten, they let you walk right past them. And then... The other trick is, like, if you're trying to get one of your friends that came to the show with you backstage also, but you only have so many passes or there are no passes as band only and whatever, or the, the way to get other people in is hand them equipment and let them carry something in. Oh, um, so yeah. let them carry in uh, some guitars or an amplifier or a, a cymbal stand or a foot pedal or anything like, hey, walk in with me. We'll both be carrying equipment. They're just going to let you walk right by. And nine times out of ten, that works. Uh, to get people into the backstage area. So that's always a nice little trick. But really, it's like you said, it's all attitude, reckless abandon. You just walk in like you own the place, just like, excuse me. Uh, you just walk in and most people won't question you. That's true in so many aspects of life, isn't it? Yeah, I just, I've never had that balls to do something like that. But you're just kind of like, uh, yeah, you, you have them. And, um, uh, or maybe yeah. I'm just, I'm just so comfortable in, in music venues playing so many clubs for so long that, uh, it's just not a big deal. I mean, worst case, they're going to come over and hit you up for a pass and you just go like, 
yeah, dude, or I don't have one, or you just say whatever. And I mean, if you're not allowed to be there, fine. But um, if you just act like you own the place or just act like you belong everywhere, there's no reason I shouldn't be here, then they just normally don't bother you. Usually okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Every, yeah. And especially the bands that we're talking about, like Bad Religion. Yeah, to me, they're, they're fucking enormous. But compared to many huge bands, they're, they're a very chill, down-to-earth, approachable band. Um, both attitude and size wise. I mean, they're not, um, I don't know, fucking, why am I thinking of Rod Stewart? Like Rod, Rod Stewart, Stewart to me <laughs> seems like fucking Rod Stewart. They're not Rod Stewart where they're, they're just enormous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they're not Rod Stewart. They're not Metallica, you know, where trying yeah, to get okay. backstage at Metallica yeah. is probably much harder than backstage at a bad religion show. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not. I've never seen Metallica. I've never tried to get backstage. But in my head, Rod Stewart and Metallica are very hard to just walk right up to, um, uh, I assume. I don't but, know. But when it comes to punk bands, they're they're about <laughs> as mainstream punk as you're going to get, right? Would you say? Uh, you don't like the word main, that mainstream really is rubbing you wrong with bad religion, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Because, I mean, you're right. Because mainstream to me means like they're... They're they're on the radio. They're they're mainstream. Like people who are not necessarily punk fans know who Bad Religion are. Um, so yeah, in that sense, they're more mainstream than a lot of punk bands. But there's certainly more mainstream punk bands. Like like Green Day would be a good example of a very mainstream punk band. True. Um, you know they're 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 definitely soaking up a lot more uh, time on the radio waves than than Bad Religion is. But I mean shit. At that point, you're splitting hairs. Bad Religion's huge. They play everywhere. They're they're on radio and all that kind of shit so yeah sure you could call them mainstream i guess but um that's a weird thing to call a band or a sellout is also a weird thing to call a band to say like oh you guys sold out like that's always been really weird to me even in the punk world where in the punk rock world you're expected to be um you know grassroots and and uh, either either not signed to a big label or on a cool indie label or whatever like if you're on a major label then you're a sellout or if you take a bunch of money, you're a sellout. And I always thought, well, fuck that, dude. Like, I want to play punk rock, and I want to be true to what I think is funny and write songs I like and and be ourselves. But if anyone ever deems us worthy of paying us a bunch of money to do what we do, then fuck yeah, we're going to keep doing what we do and take the money. That's that's awesome. Um, but a lot of people would call that selling out. Uh, but fuck those people. I bet they would take the money, too, if someone offered them money to be themselves. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? Maybe uh, like Winger or started out as a punk band, and they just ended up being um, uh, mainstream. Well, okay, so there's a good example of uh, Winger. Wow, Rod Stewart and Winger. We are uh, we are cool. <laughs> I like Rod Stewart actually. His music's not the best, but he seems like a cool guy. So I won't lump him into the not coolness of Winger. Uh, <laughs> winger All right. winger was who beavis and butthead used to always make fun yeah. of i think right yeah so they were I, the epitome it. of the uh laughable band i couldn't even honestly name a winger song maybe they're either. good i don't I even don't know either. it but when i hear the name winger i'm just thinking lame <laughs> lame all right so uh i guess like Coldplay, i don't know anything about them i'm a bandwagon winger hater uh maybe they're great i don't know but winger's lame that's that's my stance i'm sticking to it but um, 
uh oh shit i had a point i was i was driving to and then winger fucking oh i'm sorry <laughs> i said i <laughs> up with winger <laughs> oh 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 no you were saying maybe winger was a punk rock band and then yeah. they became fucking they sold out and <laughs> became true. winger and uh became a punchline but a well-paid punchline i assume they made some money in their in their heyday of wingitude but what i was thinking is um uh the beastie boys so the yeah. beastie boys were a punk band or what you would call a punk band they played their own instruments they were like a three-piece punk rock band and super like garage band style very fast very loud very hardcore very funny awesome um not exactly polished but i like that they were rough around the edges fucking great i like their their super super early um, beastie boy shit when they were actually a band playing instruments and then they became the beastie boys and their early records like paul's boutique had a lot of punk rock edge to it i love paul's boutique that's a great album really um, and then know. as they as they progress have you ever heard paul's boutique i don't think that i have I, that's the first time i'm hearing that title well if you like beastie boys go listen to that it's 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 their transitionary album from young rough around the edge punk rock kids to what they eventually become of their super unique uh not like anybody else style of pop mainstream music but really are they pop or mainstream no they're beastie boys right um no one's like them but the, the paul's boutique is a really great melding of their edgy punk rock sound into their um well-known beastie boys sound but then they eventually fully fell into their own and became the beastie boys like a white rap electronica hardcore hilarious whatever the fuck laundry list of adjectives you want to attach to the beastie boys they became that um so did they sell out or did they evolve and become something that they were probably uh they were probably purposely going in that direction and it just happened to be popular so they made a shitload of money to me that's not selling out um I think when I think of selling out, that's I picture some slimy record executive with a ponytail coming up to you and saying, hey, you guys are good. I'm going to pay you a lot of money to play super pussy music and totally change everything that you are to fit our mold of lame ass um, pop star and uh, and then now make lame albums and we'll give you a shitload of money. To me, that's selling out. And, you know, I don't have any good examples of that particularly happening, but uh, my point was is. A great band or a great musician, you know, becoming noticed, getting huge, making a ton of money, getting on the radio, and still doing what they love uh, is certainly not selling out. Whether you like it or not, whether you think their old shit's better than their new shit, like like a Metallica. Like, I love old Metallica compared to new Metallica, but I wouldn't call them a sellout. I think they just changed. And the good news is, is all their old shit is still there waiting for me anytime I want to hear it. So... It's not important if I love all their new albums because the old albums I do love are totally there. They're still on my phone. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that you know, selling out is changing your message or uh, or getting overly produced, right? You know, where it's yeah. like uh, they feed you the music and you start putting stuff on top of the music, or or yeah. you start getting uh, you start singing other people's songs. Like that's you know, I, I don't, I have much less respect for that, of course. Um, to me, the the people that write the songs, uh, the music, and the lyrics, like as long as you're doing that, you're in no way a sellout because that that comes from within. That comes from uh, you know, yeah. I, and I don't even think musicians can tell you where that even comes from. Sometimes, 
Well, and I think part of being a musician is is uh, being a collaborator is inherent in musicianship. Um, I mean, unless you're a true solo artist, but even solo artists are having other people play music, help compose, help produce. You're still collaborating to some degree, some more than others. And as a musician, you want to try new things. You maybe want to try new genres or experiment with new sounds or new or new styles of writing or whatever. You want to try new things. And um, experimentation is uh, always going to be hit and miss, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't want to hold an artist that I like um, I want, I don't want to hold them accountable for always hitting and never missing. I want them to keep trying to innovate and keep trying to change. And maybe some of what they do isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but some of the other stuff they do is really fucking awesome. And they would never have found that really fucking awesome thing if they weren't trying new shit. Um, so collaborating can be misconstrued as selling out a lot of times because maybe you get involved with a producer or someone else who's like, oh, let's try all this and it all sounds really exciting and you know it gets all your creative juices flowing and you're trying all kinds of new shit and at the end of the day, it's just, it's overproduced and, and not exactly what you're going for and it kind of sucks, but it's still great you tried it, you know? And yeah, there's an album out there that kind of blows or maybe just a song that kind of blows. It's it's a little bit of a selly outy kind of a thing, quote unquote, but I'm still glad you did it because that helped you experiment and maybe it brought you to a new thing that's that's uh, less of that and more of the cool and, and and all of it's cool, man. You know, I like that. So like even Green Day is a good example. They've 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 had some really amazing old albums that are just fucking quintessential great, the whole album beginning to end. And then they had f- more future albums that maybe only had a few songs on it that I personally really like, but some of the other ones might seem... I don't know, little little lame, little overproduced, little little out of their norm vibe or aggression or whatever that I particularly like about them, but maybe other people like it. And I like that they're experimenting in new directions because it makes new shit. It makes new stuff. And I might not love everything that's a result of it, but it definitely produces things that are new and some of it I will love. And I love that process. Yeah, I like I like bands that are along that same kind of vein too that sound that can sound different uh, from other albums um one person that comes to mind well one example that is not that way would be like oasis kind of green uh-huh. day too green day kind of but oasis like if i hear oasis i don't care what which one of their two albums or whatever they have or, or which song it is it sounds like oasis every single time right um, whereas like you have a band like muse and i, I don't think that you've gotten into muse really much at all we always you and i always have like overlapping um band things like when you got into live i had kind of already like turned them off unfortunately okay um but live is another band that's kind of like that Mm -hmm. where live two different albums of live can sound absolutely completely different um yeah not the singer's voice i mean you always know that but Two no, you're right though. Sound. Musically and arrangement wise, they do they do go for very different things uh, from album to album, and that's naturally going to uh, not be a consistent mass appeal to your audience. So if if a ton of people love one particular album, and then your next album sounds very different and is in a very different direction, uh, of course not everyone's going to love it, right? Because not everyone loves everything. So. Um, that's part of that cool process of experimentation and change and trying new things. I love that. Yeah, you know, U2 is like that as well. Like you can yeah. hear 
you can listen to a, a recent U2 album and an old U2 album. They, they will sound nothing alike, except for you may hear the singer's voice, and you, that's the part where you're able to key in on. You say, is that U2? Um, you're like, holy shit, that is. Um, well, I just had an audio book start playing in the background. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, U2, yeah, is one of those. Like Pearl Jam is kind of one of those, although they did stay pretty, Pearl Jam stayed pretty consistent with their their formula. Um, to where, uh, you know, they, they, their, their formula, I don't know if, if that means much to you in the music world, a formula is kind of like a band's way of writing and structuring, uh, songs and sounds. And uh-huh. some bands have a very consistent formula. Um, like bad religion is one bad religion has a very consistent formula of song structuring where you just know it's a bad religion song, a bad religion album. And even when they go in slightly different directions, it's still very within the formula. Um, and then they, Bad Religion, will deviate from that, but in very alternate ways. Like Greg Graffin, the singer, he uh, likes country music, but he doesn't write and do country music as Bad Religion. He does it as like a solo kind of a thing. He's got another another band that he'll kind of play country songs and release those with, and and it's it's not released as Bad Religion, but he's got some pretty cool kind of country-ish, uh, folky kind of music that he does. It's not really my cup of tea, but it's cool, and it's something he's into, so he does it, and he releases it uh, under a different band name. And um, Bad yeah. Religion itself did an, an album. that They kind of approached it pretty cool, where they did an album called Into the Unknown, and it was literally an attempt to do something entirely different, totally other than the formula that they had been doing, that they got huge for, and they knew it was entirely different. It was different on purpose, and so that's why they called the album Into the Unknown. Like, we don't know how this is going to work out, but we're doing something totally new here. And uh, it did not work out at well at all. Their fans hated it. Um, and they got a ton of backlash because of it. And now that album doesn't even appear in their discography. They've, they've kind of disowned it. Wow. But they, don't, they didn't hide it. They basically said, like, yeah, yeah, we tried something totally different here and it didn't work. Um, but, uh, it's still out there. If you want to go check it out, you know, we're not going to attach it to our official discography because yeah, you know, we tried something and it uh, didn't really pan out. So, uh, it's there, but you know, uh, we're not into it. And I thought that was pretty cool that they acknowledge it. They didn't they wipe it out entirely. It's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, we did that. It, it wasn't great. <laughs> well, and you never know too, because sometimes, you know, it could be like, uh, ginger when you eat ginger in the middle of a uh sushi meal like how you like ginger and uh jesus christ why do we always go back to ginger i i know i'm I'm trying to turn my fucking radio off and i'm I'm an idiot i have no idea what i'm on (laughs) um, the on button is not how you turn it off like, I'm done now. I'm sorry. Um, so ginger, ew, gross. Well, Why do we always talk about ginger on this show? Because I have to. I have to I because you don't ginger. like ginger. I know you hate ginger. That's why I have to bring it up. It's good for God. you. Eat it. Eat oh, it already. Ginger, I'm tired awful. of you not liking ginger. But it clears your palate. And and who knows? Maybe with that album, Into the Unknown, maybe that cleared their palate and it paved the way for a new album that they did that was kick-ass. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's what I was. Yeah. Well, I think as a musician, it was a direction that they were wanted to go or try, and they're just like, "Let's just try this and see what happens." Uh, okay. Well, that uh, that didn't work out. Well, okay. Well, at least we did it, and I like that. Uh, and if they weren't trying new things, then they would feel locked within the confines of of um, their expectations or whatever. Like maybe afraid to deviate from the from the formula. 
And then that's a shitty place to be. That's a creatively stifling uh, prison to lock yourself into. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the album is not good, but I'm glad they did it. You know, another band too that uh, changes wildly over time. And I don't even know if they're still together. Um, Tool. Mm, yeah. Amazing course, drumming in Tool. Yeah, I mean, it's debatable whether they are um, tripping balls, though. When, <laughs> when they're, when they're uh, yeah. technically when they're speaking, their are they frying their balls up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've heard that they were, um, and um, that was from somebody who designed one of their studios um, somewhere in uh, Hollywood area. Oh, was and, that the guy who did the uh, the sound at your the old studio you had? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, I, I'll obfuscate his name, but yeah, he came over because we had a fitness studio and we needed to soundproof it. And he came over and he was like, yeah, I've done uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Tool. Um, and he just starts reeling off um, all these wow. different bands that he's done where he's he's constructed their studios. And That's an incredible over. resume. And you're like, yeah, you sound qualified to do our dance studio. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. And I forgot how I found him too, but yeah, he came over and he was just like, yeah, a couple hundred bucks is fine. I mean, all he did was point out some of the inef- inefficiencies um, oh, okay. that, that we had there. But he's like, yeah, I need a couple hundred, bu- you know, just give me a couple hundred bucks. He was really cool about it. And actually, cool. um, uh, Wackerman uh, asked for him too. I don't know if he ended up designing Wackerman's uh, drum studio, but uh, he wanted to soundproof his uh, he he had a detached garage that he wanted to soundproof, yeah. and, and uh, so I think he contacted him for that too. Very but, cool. Yeah, drums are a different a difficult one to sound design a room because they're so loud, and you're throwing reverberations from all these different surfaces, from your drums to your cymbals, uh, all over the place, all at the same time. So you're just launching sound waves in every direction uh, through a room. So naturally you want it soundproofed so your neighbors don't freak out and you can kind of play whenever you want, but you also want it sound optimized to where it doesn't just sound like a big wet blanket. Uh, you want some room noise so the sound has uh, freedom to, to, to move, but you definitely don't want the sound bouncing all over itself because then it just sounds like an echo chamber and, and it's, a, it's a unique um, room sound design. Not that I've mastered it, I just know it's tough because I've tried to put drums in different rooms and play with different like baffling arrangements and different amounts of 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 soundproofing material, and it's tough to really get a good sound. Like you want it alive but not dead, um, yeah. or, you, or you want it dead but not entirely dead. You still need to have some life in there, but not too much because then it steps all over itself. It's a trip. It's kind of hard. It's fun. Yeah, you don't want the uh, the sound to ricochet and then. Uh, hit it you, you want it to hit the wall and and bounce one time and, or you, you just don't yeah. want it to keep bouncing around the room that was the other yeah. problem that we had too and he was like yeah you need some sound padding here and what he said was um he's like don't go and buy the big expensive sound padding things he's like just go and get this uh insulation called roxel um or rock wool is another way that they say it and right. um he said just make some frames and fill the frames with rock wool and then cover it with cloth and we did and it made a world of difference in there then we didn't have a neighbor that you shared a wall with that was making a bunch of noise right 
they we were making the noise for them um, oh, oh even though the okay yeah even though like we didn't even hardly share class times they were just kind of dicks about it um <laughs> they LA? Were the dicks. hell you say yeah serious man it was uh i i'll tell you what i i am never gonna rent another uh commercial property because they have they hold all the cards um you as a tenant have no rights at all they can just say mm -hmm. hey give me the money or get the fuck out and um we own your business now or you you spent years of building up this business too bad get out we don't want you here anymore um yeah and uh or we don't want to renew your lease but yeah so that that was one of the things that we did was uh fill up about 12 pictures with rock rock wool and um we got these uh printed out um big pieces of cloth that we just covered it with that were uh um look good for our studio they were like pictures of girls exercising and uh, it worked great it worked really good nice all right cool man yeah yeah sound design is kind of fun oh you know uh i opened the show with a uh with kind of a teaser that took us in a very strange direction but where i was saying that oh hey we we lost a hero um i was not talking about bob saget as <laughs> as much as i like him uh but I did want to tell you this story because I thought it was funny. And um, I was exaggerating when I said we lost a hero. But basically, <laughs> the story I was like, what the fuck? Um, okay, so there is a rat uh, named Magawa. And uh, this rat is a famous mine-clearing rat, landmines. This rat was specially trained to detect landmines in Cambodia. And apparently there's uh, enough of a need to avoid landmines there, which sucks, um, that this, this rat was so well-known and so efficient at clearing landmines that in his career, he sniffed out like over 100 landmines and helped people uh, detect them and dig them up so that they didn't, you know, uh, step on them and set them off. And yeah. he's, he's like a national hero, dude. He was awarded a gold medal um, for, for his heroism. I love it because I'm sure he made a real conscious decision to uh, risk his life for the better, for the, uh, for the protection of humans. You know, he's just, kinda, he, he probably got like a, a pellet for doing something. So he's just like, sweet, I'm getting a pellet. Like he didn't know he's saving people's lives, but still, regardless, he saved lives, whether he knew it or not. And they got a little picture of Magawa here with his gold medal and he's looking very proud. And, um, he, uh. He's a, a, a was he an African giant pouch rat? Um, I wish they said how much he weighed because you can't really tell by the picture. He looks like a pretty hefty rat. Um, he looks American by how obese he is, but yeah. he's he's a Cambodian giant pouch rat, and he sniffed out over a hundred landmines in Cambodia. Was uh, highly regarded, awarded. He's a decorated hero, and uh, yeah, he he died. Uh, not long ago, and he was uh, he was eight years old. So, rest in peace, Magawa. You'll be missed. That's sad. That is sad. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, pretty cool, though. You know, like, of course, it's not shocking that humans use animals for certain purposes, like drug-sniffing dogs and all that kind of stuff, but landmine-sniffing rats was a new one to me. Yeah, I wonder uh, if those skills are transferable to a new rat. I would imagine that they're Oh, like, could he train the next generation? Too. Yeah, yeah. Huh. 
I don't know. They don't talk about that. Like if he had a a rat sniffing school or if anything, like if he passed on his legacy to his kids, I don't know. Oh, but they do say what he weighed. Okay. I scrolled down a little further and, uh, he weighed 1.6, 1.2 kilograms, uh, which is like two and a half pounds. So 28 inches long. He's an over two foot long rat, two and a half pounds, uh, out there doing the Lord's work. So did he die, uh, in the heat of battle? Uh, ooh, good question. He died. Did he detonate a landmine and blow yeah. himself up in the line of duty? Or yeah, did rats just he... live eight years? I <laughs> I guess I should have found that out before I brought this story to you, Derek. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so they're saying that uh, he weighed two and a half pounds. And while this is far larger than many other rat species, it's still way small enough and light enough that he didn't trigger mines if he walked over them. Okay, so is he sniffing out mines or is he just so light that people make him walk ahead of them? And if he doesn't blow up, then, uh, well, no, 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 because he still needs to point him out. Like if he walks over a mine, doesn't blow it up, then the guy walking behind him steps in the same place. He dies, obviously, so he must be sniffing them out. Um, But... uh. Apparently, he was more efficient than a person with a metal detector. So, Magawa was capable of searching a field the size of a tennis court in only 20 minutes, something that a person with a metal detector would take one to four days. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It would take that's... Four, four days to metal detect the area the size of a tennis court. Um, wow. All right. It's, so, it it kind of pisses me off that, that there's still, like, uh, landmines... I know, I think I've heard this before. I mean, they're just all over the place and like uh, from the Vietnam era, I think, is that yeah. when they did them? And and uh, even as recent as Obama, like he was, they were still selling them. And it's like, it, what what kind of distorted mind? I mean, we, we know what they do. They, they leave kids without arms and legs. You know what I mean? It's like, such a disgusting thing that uh, uh, landmines are a very dirty way to uh, make war. Not 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 that there's really a clean way to make war, but it's <clears throat> certainly one of the less honorable ways to uh, to make war. Um, yeah, man. No, it's uh, it's tough because yeah, it's just totally indiscriminate. Same with like an uh, IED, right? I mean, this thing's just kind of parked yeah. on the uh, I don't know, planted by a roadside somewhere, and any kind of vehicle that weighs enough sets it off. Whether that's a a Humvee or a or a civilian bus, I, I I think right, or I don't know if IEDs are always set off visually or who knows I don't know, but all of it's fucked up. Set. Yeah, I think most of most of the time those are um, remotely detonated. Oh, so um, someone's watching from a window, like oh, okay, there's a Humvee, now I'm gonna hit the button. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that, but so just kind um, of scrolling as I go down, uh, Magawa uh, actually retired last June, um, so he he uh, he hung it up. <laughs> he hung up his landmine sniffing tools and uh, apparently he was slowing down in quotes. The rat retired last June after slowing down as he reached old age. Yeah, he was eight. He was definitely, uh, he was up there. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, hero rat sniffed out over a hundred landmines, saved a bunch of human lives. Um, decorated hero uh, passed and he will be missed. Magawa, rest in peace. R.I.P. Magawa. <laughs> oh man okay so it was it was, it was a good story uh when i read the headline I, my, my one eyebrow just went up i went what 
<laughs> and those are the stories I like where you're just like, hero rat, landmine sniffing rat? What the what the hell? I need yeah, to know more. Yeah. No, absolutely. There's real problems in the world, but this is the news that I gravitate to. Landmine sniffing rats. Yeah, it kind of makes it hard to go to a different story now though, because I'm like, well, how do you how do you upstage a, a landmine sniffing rat? I can do it. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if it'll upstage it, but uh, this segues perfectly into. Uh, <laughs> so Hamas is, uh, I don't know what they are exactly, but I know there's some like terrorist organization, right? I'm sure there's more color to that. But Hamas is essentially like some Muslim extremist or- organization. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my understanding. Um, so Hamas claims to have captured a dolphin that the Israeli military was using as a spy off the coast of Gaza. <laughs> so, so Hamas like captured this dolphin and, uh, I don't know what he was up to. Maybe he was just swimming in like, uh, you know, uh, uh, restricted water space, but they, uh, they, they thought that he was doing what he shouldn't have been doing and was possibly a spy. And, um, yeah, so they captured this dolphin and they're, they're claiming that the Israeli military was using him as a spy. And there's, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Like, what's he going to do? Yeah. Come in and like find troop locations and come back and report that to the Israeli military, you know? Um, maybe he was wearing like a recording device. I don't know. It doesn't say anything about that. But um, the quote in here is pretty funny. Where'd it go? And it was, uh, so the, the Hamas organization said that the newest recruit, this dolphin, was stripped of its will and turned into a murderer by the Israeli secret services. I'm like, whoa, pretty sinister. I mean, maybe he was just swimming, you know? Like, what was he doing to make you think that he's he's got this murderous intent, you know? Was he had a strange look in his eye or what what, what the fuck is going on here? This story tripped me out. Yeah. I, well, what? I guess they got to turn him into an evil something before they execute him so they don't feel like dolphin killers. Murderous Jew dolphin out here trying to get us. Like, whoa, man, you're, uh, you're, you're really stretching here. <laughs> yeah, we got a murderous. Uh, he, they they killed his will. They killed the dolphins. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, they killed. I guess. They stripped him of its will. Like that part's weird. That's very um, presumptive. Like you're really assigning a lot of your own uh, thoughts to this dolphin. Like what makes you think he was stripped of his will? That's weird. Yeah, that is that is definitely bizarre. Um, I, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> fucking animals dude uh so that's weird right that that these guys were like oh my god the israelis have weaponized dolphins against us like okay you're nuts but well, a- yeah. apparently there's actually like um reports of the american military using dolphins as spies also i thought what and essentially what it was saying was that that americans have like not tried to hide it at all but like documented um testing or training exercises around using dolphins to detect someone or something in the water because they're able to detect um, vibrations that we wouldn't otherwise be able to to, to detect, I guess. Um, so that makes sense, right? Like a drug-sniffing dog, yeah. they can smell better than we can. Dolphins can uh, sense other things in the water better than we can. So training dolphins to alert us to something they may detect is pretty practical. That sounds right. Uh, but it sounds way cooler to sound that, you know, our our uh you know military operations are are making use of dolphins as spies i like that i like that idea well i have to say you did rise to the challenge of upstaging the uh the rat um, the rat so dude the- i'm i'm here for you man 
I'm here for you. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, I did see something recently too, where they have, um, like not microscopic drones, but they have really small drones that, that look like bugs and they fly around and they have microphones and cameras and Wi-Fi and, um, yeah, they, they can basically, uh, yeah. Why not? You know, I've even heard uh-huh. talk of, you know, making such a small like nanobot that it can go inside your body to diagnose problems like fly into your nostril or something and go like, oh, there's a ton of boogers up here. That's why you can't breathe uh, or maybe better uses than that. But being able to like fly these little kind of like tiny little drones like nanobots or implant them into your body that can go and uh, do what they would normally have had to do with like invasive surgery but just send this little dude into your body to go kind of check out a problem, like to go, I don't know, send him through your your fucking aortas or whatever and check out and see what kind of clog situation they're working with or that sort of thing. Like, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, do you remember, like, I don't know if you remember around 2000-ish, 2000, 2004, sometime around that area, like the big buzzword was like nanotechnology, nanotechnology, and they were talking about it all over the place. Uh, nanotechnology is going to come out and, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Like, you don't hear anything about it. It's like, huh, that's weird. We don't yeah. hear about nanotechnology anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm, you I, know? Wonder if, I wonder if research entirely stopped and no one's interested in it anymore. Yeah, that's that's got to be what it is, right? Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that uh, it has. Like, yeah. Oh, there's nothing to this undetectable technology. Yeah, nah, we'll stop uh, it, ex- experimenting and, and advancing in that direction. Yeah, this is this is a worthless experiment. Yeah. Uh, also, do you remember the uh, this w- <clears throat> this was big news back in the day too? That cloak, that invisibility cloak. Do you remember seeing that that no, news article? But awesome! I want one. Yeah, what it did was um, it used fiber optic, and um, it really was like a cloth that you would, or like a shirt or something that you would throw on. And yeah. what it did was. Uh, it had fiber optics that read what the pixels or what the um, images look like behind you. Wow. And then projected it in front of you on on the... Uh, wow. So, I mean, it was very scientific. It wasn't like just like, oh, but but it supposedly it worked. And, and you know, you, you would throw it on and somebody, when they looked at the cloth that you were wearing, it was just reflecting what was behind the cloth. Um, wow in front of you that so, makes me think of the predator is that how yeah. you worked uh-huh that's how the All predator right. worked yep just okay. like that wow. and then we heard about that and that it made big news and made big big waves and everybody was like oh my gosh the invisibility cloak and then boom nothing yeah nothing what to see here visibility cloak yeah no yeah i don't know <laughs> yep. that's funny that's funny like we may be able to do this thing and then crickets like hmm i bet they did that thing yeah. <laughs> wow. You know they did, yep. Yeah. Well, uh, much less covert, but I, I like that video that you shared on our Twitter feed where it showed the Marines doing that boarding exercise where they were basically just flying from one vessel to another with a jetpack. Yeah, That's that was pretty cool, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the other one, too, did you see? It was quite a while ago that I shared it, but it was that teardrop-looking airplane kind of thing. Um, oh where, yeah, uh, yeah. Where you said, um, I don't know, but this looks like it could be uh, what hypersonic, hypersonic, or hypersonic. Yeah. I don't know anything uh-huh. about that, dude. You're you're 
Um, what, what is that? Hyper, it just, it can go extremely fast. Like it can go, um, like 11,000 miles an hour. That's pretty quick. Um, yeah. And, and supposedly they use some kind of, uh, I don't know, magnetism or something along those lines. Huh. Um, but it, it doesn't have like a, a blowhole for, um, for an exhaust. You know, that was the one thing that uh, some people were commenting on, uh, not on our Twitter, but uh, another place where I had found that. And uh, and somebody else was speculating as well, too. It was like, was that shown on purpose or was that shown on accident? And who knows? You know, I don't know. But it was kind of interesting, though, because when the person was looking at it on Twitter, they were like, holy shit. <laughs> wow. It certainly sounded like like he was surprised and like he didn't expect to see that thing. He's like, holy shit, what is that? Huh. But what a trip, dude. There's amazing stuff out there, and they're always experimenting with new technology. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's it's understandable that the government doesn't want to be so open about weapons development or any of that. Like, I want that. I want us to be ahead of other nations. I think that's a good thing for national security. Um, but I also want to know about cool stuff. You know, like, what are you working on? That sounds awesome. Uh, so it's, it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to fault them for being secretive. But... Um, I don't know. I guess it's also a little uh, disconcerting when they are being secretive because you're kind of like, oh, is that something you're trying to use against us or is this just to make yeah. us stronger against the Russians? Because in that case, cool, but in the in the former, eh, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, well, have you ever seen uh, Bob Lazar? I think that's his name. Uh, Let's he call him Laser. That sounds, that sounds way more technology uh, oriented. Let's call him Bob Laser. Okay. Um, he worked at Area 51, and uh, he actually was a scientist that worked on uh, things at his home. And he he garnered some attention by, I guess, the Area 51 people, whoever. And then he 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 was on Joe Rogan uh, one time, okay, where he was asked a ton of questions. And of all the people, like he's, he certainly seems believable because he's just deadpan. He doesn't really have a whole lot of a personality, really. I, mean, I don't mean that in a mean way, but he's not like, you know, you wouldn't have him at a party like uh, uh, entertaining guests. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of those like technology nerds are not typically the most uh, uh, talkative cats. Yeah. And, and I've, I've listened to him for quite some time. Like I've heard multiple interviews from this guy. And, you know, another thing that kind of makes me believe him is that I've heard him tell the same story like multiple times. And, you know, like when you hear somebody tell the same story multiple times, but there's small deviations in that telling of the story that don't uh, negate what they said in the other interviews. You know what I mean? That are just right. a different way of saying it. It's kind of like it just makes me believe it a little bit more where I'm just yeah. like, oh, OK, it makes yeah, it feel he, not rehearsed or coerced or practiced or anything like that it just makes it feel more natural like he he knows certain things and maybe frames them differently depending on how he's feeling that day that does feel more authentic yep and what he said is that um they had at area 51 they had like five or a certain number of ufos that hmm. were crashed and his job was to reverse engineer the um what is it called? The power module, which okay. was like a fully encased. Um, I don't know what it was, but it, it reminds me of like an egg shaped 
something that contains something inside that's nuclear. And he said, the way he phrased it was that, he's like, yeah, you, on this planet, we look at this thing and say, this is so advanced. Uh, This is like way more advanced than we are. But the way he phrased it, though, was that, you know, on the planet where this came from, this is so abundant that they're not they're not necessarily that much more advanced uh, than we are. So it's they like just, us uh, using fossil fuels. Like, yeah, that was a great discovery a hundred years ago, but kind of old news now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, you you know, oh look, they they learned how to burn fossil fuels. Uh, big deal, you know. That's kind of right. like how he was phrasing it. Okay. But he did say he he said that um, in those UFOs, they're small. And they were filled with uh, aliens that he called the Greys, I think is, and and their code name for those aliens was the Children. They called them the Children for whatever reason. Huh. That's um, creepy. I don't know why, but that's creepy. It is a little creepy, but it may have been one of those things where you had to be there. I think that, or yeah, the Children or the Kids. <laughs> Maybe they called them the Kids. All right. I don't know, uh, but. Um, yeah, it was just, and he said, you know, inside the, the UFOs, there was nothing angular at all. It wasn't like everything was smooth and like, um, like molded, you know, a single molded design is, is the way he described it. And, uh, yeah, his job was just to try to, um, reverse engineer. And then he said that, uh, you know, he was in one pod working in one pod and, and it was him and another scientist and there was like five or six more pods at area 51 and they were all segregated they couldn't talk to each other i mean i guess there was there were certain instances where they could communicate like once every six months or something but because somehow he got word that uh, that egg-shaped device that harnessed energy in some kind of way one of the scientists busted it open and died instantly because it, it killed him, like because of the radiation, wow. I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, Bob, Bob Laser. Bob Laser. All right. Yeah. Uh, he was on Rogan? Yeah, he was on Rogan probably a few years ago. Shit's think, interesting, maybe. dude. Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. My yeah. grandpa, which I've gone into a long description before on the podcast where my grandpa is like, uh, three-step grandpas and 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 all that so i won't bore you with that uh, <laughs> detail let's just call him my grandpa he flew planes in world war ii and uh spent a lot of time flying other than his wartime also and he's got a very detailed story about seeing ufos and he's been interviewed um i think several times about his his story and basically his entire life he's He's been someone who has this story and and has told it a hundred times. It's been documented. He's been filmed doing interviews and it's been um, outlined to the military, the whole thing. But yeah, he, to this day, he's still around. He's in his nineties and he, uh, it's, it's really just not really like, oh, he says he saw a UFO. Like according to him, he saw a UFO and it's a documented fact uh, for him. You know, whether or not that's an alien craft is debatable because there's also you know, experimental aircraft out there no one knows about, so it's certainly unidentified. It's an unidentified flying object, for sure. Not UFOs aren't automatically aliens, but, uh, yeah, he thinks it was. So where do you fall on that? Do you think there's aliens? Oh, man. I, 
I won't declare an official well-thought-out stance of I believe this to be the truth, um, but what I think is uh, very improbable that we are the only um, beings in a universe with so many planets uh, and life being so diverse and so malleable and able to to manifest itself in almost any living condition, whether it's here on our oxygen-rich planet or in the deepest trenches of the ocean where there's no oxygen and no light and no food, things still live down there. Um, into some incredibly hot spaces, things still evolve to live in there. Incredibly cold, incredibly everything, every extreme living condition you can imagine, um, something evolves to, to live there. And why would that only be true on this one planet in an immense universe? So I think there has to be aliens, quote unquote, I'm saying, because, you know, to think of little green men with skinny bodies and big heads is probably a Hollywood manufacturing um, image of them. Or maybe it's not. Maybe they are very similar to that. Maybe that's all based on actual information that's being suppressed. I don't know. But I think it's improbable that we are the only life forms on this one rock in a immense universe with infinite numbers of rocks that's my thought yeah that that's always bothered me when uh i have you ever heard when they're talking about another planet and they say well that planet can't support life just in just like as yeah. a universal statement right yeah and 50 just like years ago said, we would have said that about some of these living conditions here on earth that we've only been able to recently uh explore because they're so fucking inhospitable uh environmentally so yeah what the yeah. fuck do we know that's arrogant to say that yeah like on the bottom of the sea what you're saying you know there's some things in the bottom of the sea there's some things that like live in lava i think or some kind of like <laughs> yeah just crazy. Like, we went like, oh yeah. my God, we never would have detected this without this new piece of technology. We never would have thought something could live in lava, but there it is. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, you know, I, I don't know whether these things exist. You know, it kind of, um, I, I'm tending towards that they probably do. And when I say they, I'm referring to, um, there's like four classes of aliens that I, that I've heard of. Um, that supposedly exist. You have the Pleiadian, Pleiadians, I think is how you call it from like, supposedly from Pleiades. Pleiades is a star constellation. Oh, that sounds you know. super likely to be true. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know anything about yeah. it, but I'm saying, yeah, no, that's definitely true. Pleiadians from Pleiadia are totally yeah. a thing. Yeah, definitely. And then you have the greys. The okay. grays are that's, the... Um, that's what Laser saw or knew or worked with. Yep. yep. All right. Those are the little tiny guys. And then you have the mantids, Ooh. which are kind of like praying mantises. All right. Um, I like that. And uh, what they usually do is they they mim they supposedly mimic people. They're very... They're experts in mimicry. Oh, okay. Mimicry. All right. Um, and then you have the tall... I don't know if it's maybe the tall whites. Um, oh. Well, Hitler would have loved yeah. them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I think some Aryan and, aliens. Yep. And supposedly they live underground. All right. And then you have the reptilians. Um, right. I think they, they live underground um, <laughs> and uh, they're shapeshifters, supposedly. That's convenient. Um, okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's good. Where is he? Oh, he just turned into a human. Oh um, man, he was just right in front uh, of me. And he, now he's he, a just a second right. ago. Yeah, he was. Uh, a, shit. He was a reptilian. Crafty um, reptilians. Yeah. Can they only trans and, like mutate into other reptiles because they're reptilians, or can they become like a, an alpaca? I don't know what an alpaca is. Yeah, it's like a llama. It's like a big fucking horse camel llama thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or a I don't dog. Know. Can, can it, does it have to be a reptile? Like, can it only be like a gecko or a newt or an alligator? Or can it be a fucking wombat? Yeah, that I don't know. I know right. they're supposed to be tall. These are questions we um, need answers to. Can it turn into a wombat? I need to know. Yeah. Who made this list, by the way? Who's naming the... Uh, these alien groups of far-fetched, purely imagined alien species. <laughs> I am. This is just. This is oh. just based on. This is just. Well, no. It. This is based. If you were to watch the people that like really believe in this stuff, you mean like on um, History Channel? I haven't watched the History Channel, but I'd uh, imagine. Yeah, you'll probably find them on the ancient aliens things there. Um, probably, yeah. Uh, All right, that's, he, that's what I'm joking about because I used to I was actually just talking to my mom about this I used to love the history channel when it was nothing but boring nerdy history documentaries that's all I ever watched whatever they were running dude I'd be like oh, oh sweet a two hour documentary on King David cool I'll, I'll watch that uh, whatever they were running I love old historical documentaries and then they got away from that and they moved into like reality TV and now it's all Pawn Stars which I like but then there's a bunch of other reality TV shows that I don't like that are just purely reality have nothing to do with history and then they started going in a really weird direction with like the ancient aliens thing and all that kind of stuff like really history channel um you've really jumped the shark you're you're no longer uh allowed to call yourself the history channel now now you're just you're just bullshit TV like so many others yeah, I remember that. That's what that one dude with that crazy hair, that white dude with the crazy hair. He became a meme, that, the guy that's just like yeah. kind of aliens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that yeah, guy. That, yeah, that guy is hilarious. Look, um, have you ever wondered why when you look at a color through this particular lens, it appears different? Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything is, the answer to everything is aliens. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, that was... Uh, I love yeah, that they, guy. they did kind of go off off on a tangent there. Yeah, dude, that's kind of like the Discovery Channel too. They started like showing like uh, that uh, reality show with the Amish. You yeah, know, uh, dude, so many breaking uh, something. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I did enjoy it, but it was Fine. like not not, it's not for Discovery, Discovery Channel. Channel. Yeah, like, dude, start a new yeah. network called like More Reality Bullshit, and we'll watch it. Awesome, I'm fine with that. But come on, the the Discovery Channel was something. It was about yeah. discovery. Like, hey, here's a new species we found in the deepest tre trenches of the ocean we never thought could have lived in this inhospitable environment. Like, that's what I want you to be discovering and sharing with me. I want discovery, not more bullshit reality TV or fucking aliens. I want, if you're the History Channel, I want history. I want documented, proven history. Um, and uh, I, I, mi I miss the History Channel. Um, military channel has kind of jumped into that void and plays some good historical docs. Some, you know, usually all military oriented, obviously, because they, um, inexplicably, uh, stay true to their, their format. You know, they're the military channel, so they play things that are military oriented. Imagine that. But, um, I also like, uh, curiosity stream has become a pretty cool streaming service that's focused around documentaries. Oh. And uh, if you like documentaries, 
which I'm a fucking, I love them, dude. I'm a documentary fiend. I, I could, I could watch a doc on almost anything, whether I'm really interested in it or not. I love digging deep and learning things like that. Um, curiosity stream is a pretty cool one. They've got some really short ones too, where you can go watch like a 12 minute documentary on something. And for some subjects, 12 minutes is plenty. Um, but for the, uh, for the longer, for the ones that require a little bit more uh, time and attention, they do have longer documentaries, which I normally gravitate to. But yeah, some short and sweet, some long and detailed. I think Curiosity Stream is pretty cool. Yeah, I if I'm putting a documentary on, a lot of times I'm uh, I enjoy documentaries, but um, I like how they put me to sleep even better. I think. <laughs> there's nothing better than when you're like uh like on a lazy sunday or even better like calling in sick to work and you're home just kind of sick like not really sick but just kind of sick little under the weather and uh you get a bowl of soup maybe some toast and a big bottle of water you're laying on the couch um a little blanket on you documentary that's that's a nice place to be totally and then here's another scenario too you fall, you, you do fall asleep. You wake up in the middle of a movie that you never would have put on yourself because oh. it's like a two two star movie, like some like Just Bitten or something crappy like that. Yeah, um, that has a horrible ending, but it's fun as hell to watch. And then you wake up and you're like, "What is this movie?" Uh huh. I'm just you ever you ever gotten into a movie that has horrible reviews, uh, but it's really something. It's cool to watch. Totally. Um, what that makes me think of is my dad is a total guy's guy, very guy's guy. Um, but he watches the Hallmark channel and <laughs> sometimes there, I'm not making fun of you, dad. I'm just saying it's yeah. true. You watch the Hallmark nah. channel. So what yeah. I've noticed is they make their own movies. Like they don't just, um, pay a, uh, a film company or whatever to, you know, license a movie and run it on their station for, for ad revenue. They make their own movies. They're like, now we got this. We're going to make our own Hallmark movies. And, uh, they're terrible, but they're very watchable. Um, which by definition of a film, I mean, if it's watchable, it's not terrible. Right. But they are terrible, but they are watchable. And, uh, I would never choose to watch a Hallmark movie. I don't even think I've ever flipped to that channel on my home TV, but, when I'm at my dad's and we're just chilling, like, oh, what, what I'm thinking of actually is he was recovering from surgery and I spent a lot of time just hanging on, hanging at his house on the couch with him, just watching TV, just being with him, you know? And, uh, we watch the Hallmark channel a lot of times and, uh, some of those movies grab your interest. And next thing you know, I'm like super into, uh, this young gal's relationship problems and I'm totally invested in the movie. <laughs> and I'm like, at the end of it, it, it ends. And I'm like, well, that was really good. And then I'm like, I just watched a Hallmark Channel movie. Oh no! Um, you ne- and you never would have thrown that on before. You never never would have happened. Never, yeah. ever, ever, ever. Uh, but yeah, yeah. There's some decent stuff out there. Hallmark Channel. <laughs> well, you know, my dad uh, in California, Dennis. Um, you know, I got two two dads, uh, but he. I don't know if you knew this about him, but he'll watch he would rent horrible movies like and like, he knows that they're hor- they're they're like b b slash c movies huh. um but he was he's so into movies that he just got to get it and he's got to watch it 
and then and, go like I watched it. God, that was terrible. But like still self-inflicted pain. Like he does he enjoy these really bad movies or they're really bad and he doesn't enjoy them, but he just has to watch it. You know, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I think that one of the things that he loves doing is trying to figure out where the movie's going because he's okay. he's the guy that knows the ending before the ending happens. Like, oh, ninety okay. percent of the time, like ninety five percent of the time, he can he knows what's going to happen. So I, I think there's some curiosity about where the movie's going. But um, no, I mean, he, it it doesn't pain him to watch like uh, like Tank Girl or. Oh. Um, you know, uh, Cindy Lauper. <laughs> Come on, dude. What are you talking about? Shit movie, dude. Tank Girl with Cindy Lauper. That's that's uh that's Oscar worthy. <laughs> talking shit on Tank Girl. Come on, think of a better oh. example of a crap movie. Tank Girl's good. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, uh, what about uh, uh any Pauly Shore movie? How, how about that? <laughs> kind of the same genre. Oh man. Hey, buddy. <laughs> but uh it's so greasy greasy <laughs> Polly Shore dude that guy yeah. is such a unique personality where you just like no one is like Polly Shore right and when you see him in a movie you're just kind of like oh it's Polly Shore he gets a pass for as weird as he is but if if you had a friend that all of a sudden just dressed and acted like Polly Shore you'd punch him you know yeah um, I saw him on a plane one time. I took a picture of him. Oh, really? I, I stood up. Yeah, it was, uh, we landed in LA from somewhere. And uh, I stood up and then I looked around. I'm like, that's fucking Paul Shore. And I had my camera right there. And I'm like, snap, snap a roo. Oh, like you um, didn't go over to... and say hi and take a picture with him. You just like took a picture of him like in his plane, in his plane seat. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah, and he was, and and he uh, like he's a fucking animal in a zoo. You're just like, hey, look, a Pauly Shore sighting. Yeah, and he was uh, sitting in coach too. Oh wow! All right, How yeah, mm, yeah. You know, Pauly Shore is the son of the lady who owns um, the comedy store in Hollywood, which is a famous workshop comedy club. So uh, it's been around for a long, long time. His mom owns it. I don't know. Maybe his mom and dad own it. I don't know. As far as I know, his mom owns the comedy store or used to own the comedy store. And it is a, um, it's like a mandatory stop for all comedians when they're coming up in the comedy world. And also when they're working on new material, they all go and work it out at the comedy store. And so he grew up, uh, in that world. So that was probably obvious, uh, assumedly his, uh, intro or exposure to the comedy world. And, um, I don't know if he ever did stand-up or not, probably. All I know him from is his movies. But he was a very unique, uh, to say the least, guy. Um, but I like that. Uh, whether it's good or not is debatable. But he was very unique, and he did his thing, and uh, made his movies and, and all that. And go him. Encino, man. Encino, um, man. You can't argue that that's bad. Like, yeah, it's bad, but it's no. so good. Yeah, that's such a good movie. Yeah, I... Uh, he was big when I was in high school because yeah. that's when MTV still played um, uh, music videos. Uh. And, you know, he was doing the whole, hey, buddy. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. That was when, Tom, that was when like, uh, Tom Green was huge. Um, Did you ever like Tom Green? Was that before oh, Tom I love Green? Tom Green. Yeah, it was a little bit before Tom Green. Tom but, Green is totally um, your style. I bet you really did like Tom Green. I've been told by friends that if I had the balls to do what Tom Green did, I would 
just be doing what Tom Green does. And I think they're right. Um, Because you do have that thing uh, where Tom Green would do something ridiculous and he would act like it's not ridiculous and pull that off. Like he's got that deadpan kind of like, what, 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 what do you, what's, what's wrong? I'm just, I'm just, (laughs) I'm I'm just walking around with a bucket on my arm. Like that's just what I'm doing. And everyone's like, dude, there's a bucket on your arm. And he's like, yeah, I know. Like, uh so, but he pulled it off so well. And that that is kind of your style. Yeah, I do like to to fuck with people. No, yeah, Tom Green is just, uh, yeah, he's got some some of those things that he's done are just absolutely hilarious. I like that dude. Um, yeah, I heard that he love, got yeah. with Drew Barrymore, and I don't know if it's true or if they're still together or who knows. Um, but I remember thinking that's a cool couple, Drew Barrymore and Tom Green. I I would like to go out to dinner with them. That would be a fun couple to hang with. They seem cool. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, yeah, then they got divorced. Uh, I I saw Drew Barrymore at uh, my father in law's beach club. It's not he didn't own the beach club, but he's a member of that beach club. This all and, sounds very um, highfalutin. Yeah, it, it is very highfalutin. Yeah, for sure. Um, I may have gotten a double take. I don't know. Just just saying, may have gotten a double take from her. Oh, oh, really? The, oh, like uh, she was checking in the you bar out? area? Really? Yeah, uh, oh, wow. It could be. Yeah, it could be. Wow. Um, Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that reminds me of do you watch Seinfeld yeah uh, do you remember the episode oh wait okay uh, oh yeah 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 it was Seinfeld okay so Seinfeld where George Costanza um, met Marissa Tomei someone was friends with Marissa Tomei who oh yeah you know beautiful actress and uh-huh. yep. uh, apparently she was into bald men and everyone was telling him, like, you're crazy, dude. Marissa Tomei is not going to like you and all this kind of stuff. And he was just like, no, I swear. Like, she was totally into him or whatever. I'm probably not telling the story well. But essentially, the beautiful actress was into George Costanza because he was bald. And she loved bald men. And uh, maybe Drew Barrymore is just into bald men, D. Maybe she was, like, uh, <laughs> sizing you up, dude. Yeah, or maybe she likes uh, big eye- eyebrows. <laughs> She's like, that's my thing. I love no hair that, yeah. on the head. Lots of Fluffy hair on the brow. <laughs> that's that's my ratio. Tons of brow hair, no head hair. That's my dude. Yeah, I wonder why I don't have any confidence, Mike. I don't know. Maybe it's my friend's fault. I'm gonna have to blame my friends now. Oh, you're stunning. What are you talking about? Your 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 head radiates everything because it's so shiny. It's, oh well, it's a it's a radiant you. head. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think only yeah. topped by your giant eyebrows. Like it's it's the cherry on top. Yeah, yeah. Those eyebrows are something to behold. Oh come on, come on. When you when you raise those eyebrows in a in a in a in a passionate flutter, it's 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 heart melting. It's uh it's really something to behold. Very Groucho Marx esque. <laughs> oh my God, Groucho oh, Marx, man. Hey, you know what I was wanting to ask you too? I was thinking about when I was reading all of my weird ass animal spy stories. Um, it made me think of my own dogs, which I'm going through heartache on that. I'll tell you about that. But it made me think about you. And I wanted to ask if you have a dog now or an animal now, because this is your first home. You're, you're like, you've got your family, you've got a home and it's like a real home. You know, you're like gardening and shit. You're becoming very domesticated. Uh, yeah. I've never known you to be an animal guy, um, but are you now? Do you have animals? 
I have two cats. What? Yeah. I want to hear all I about it. You cats. have cats. Wow. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I yeah, knew I, it. I knew it. I knew the answer would be yes, but I didn't know what you would have. So two cats. Yeah. So so the the wifey is not big on animals. All right. Um, because she's really into not being woken up and she's a light sleeper. Uh-huh. So like I kind of so, so I, dog barking. I do kind of want That's bad. Yeah, I kind of do want a dog. I mean, I got a yard for a dog. I got a yeah. big yard. Um, yeah, it would be kids, a really nice. All that. Yeah, yeah, good, good with the kids. Um, you know, keep a lookout. Uh, plenty of reasons to have a dog over here. Uh, but yeah, it's not in the cards. Um, so uh, her sister had bought two cats uh, during the pandemic, and she was like, "Let's go buy two cats." It was just such a random. Epiphany that that came to her uh, because her sister bought them, and then she wanted to get cats. So I'm like, you know, I'm I'm not going to stare a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, let's go get two cats. Yeah, because I, I love animals. You're and, like animal. Um, I need yeah. to take care of that will totally ignore me and scratch me if I try to pet it. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. No. The, and yeah, we got two cats, and they were, uh, you know. Aren't all cats feral? I don't know. We got the ones that are feral for sure. They were feral and they were rescued from. So, um, so they're they're outside. Outdoors. They're holding their own. They just come home to eat when they feel like it. But they're out there just fucking living in the neighborhood, is what you're saying? No, no, no. They're they're indoor cats, but oh, okay. um, they they were from the streets. I guess is what I'm trying to say oh. because the story was that uh, when they were found, when people found them as just little baby kittens, they were hissing at people. Oh, which. Uh, which breaks our heart now when we think about our our precious little cats having to hiss at people, um, but they're brother and sister. Uh, All right. It's Chloe and Nash. Nice. Um, we call them Nashville Tornado, and uh, Chloe doesn't have much of a nickname, but um, it's usually uh, she wants food, Chloe. I think <laughs> she's she's the smarter one, and she she puts him up all, to all the monkey business of uh, begging for food. And then, um, you know, he's, he's kind of the more successful beggar because he's less likely to, uh, um, what would the word be, uh, be pulling your chain that he needs food, you know? Okay. So, so if he says he's um, hungry, he's hungry. Yeah. She, she will fuck. She's full of fuckery. Oh, like okay. She, she may have food down there. Uh, but you know, so, so she actually is smart because she puts him up to the monkey business of begging for food. And then, and then she stands at a distance and kind of was, is there, but you know, she'll probably apply pressure sometimes and she'll come into the kitchen. Cause that's the, the, uh, agreed upon place where they're going to beg for food is the kitchen, even though their bowls are not in the kitchen uh, for some reason, when we're in the kitchen, they're like, yeah, we're going to hit them up for food right now. Yeah. Cats are kind of punk asses. They're funny. I really like cat personalities or their way of going about things. Cause they're very independent. Um, they run the show and they do what they want when they want. And, uh, I like that where dogs are very. Um, loving and loyal and all that, but they're a little bit dingy and very dependent, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I do yeah. love dogs. Uh, but cats, we can't have cats because my wife and I are both kind of allergic to cats. Like, nothing severe, but if I pet a cat, uh-huh. I do get all, like, stuffed up in the head and it makes me sneeze and all that, and and uh, that's no way to live. We had cats growing up my whole life. My mom had cats when we were kids, and um, I loved them, and I let them sleep with me and the whole thing. And as a child, I could never fucking breathe. I was always stuffed up. Um, I always had really bad yeah. allergy issues. And then when I moved out, 
miraculously, uh, it stopped. And uh, yeah, later on in life, I found out it was cats because when I petted a neighbor's cat, uh, I would get all stuffed up and horrible allergies again and all that and then realize, oh, my whole childhood, I was having an allergic reaction to the animals in our own home. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah, that's no bueno. I think we had that too. Um, and it, it, there's certain cats you, yeah. you may not be allergic to. There's some types like, of hair. Like those weird-ass naked cats? Yeah. No, I don't you want one of those. You or wouldn't? No, I wouldn't want one of those. Yeah. They're fucking creepy, dude. Yeah, they are pretty creepy. They are. <laughs> no, they're like wrinkly skin and all that. You can't trust a cat like that. What, are you going to pet a, a skin cat? Like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is weird. It's like, ooh, you're touching my belly. <laughs> yeah, your ooh. hand like sticks to it as you're trying to like pet it, you know? Like, oh, no, that's just creepy, dude. That's like, no, it's like trying to pet a wrinkly old man or something. Like, no, no, thanks. You're not cute. You can't live here. And one of those things would cost you probably an arm and a leg, too, you yeah. know? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're probably yeah. like a very uh, high-dollar special breed. I don't know what they're called, but I don't want one. Yeah. No. I, I had a... um. Or, my dad or i would make and, him wear a sweater because then it wouldn't be so creepy to pet him but yeah naked cat with a sweater yeah fine. all right so anyway with, with your put dad. a diaper on him too yeah. <laughs> yeah um my dad had a friend uh his name was keith and um kind of grew up knowing him as a psychic uh so i i guess he was able to uh you know he probably had some some kind of abilities to be able to intuitively i don't know understand people a little bit what whatever but uh he he had groups uh that would come over and um he was given a whole bunch of presents being a psychic i don't know if it's just because he's like pred correctly predicted things or, or what it was but um one of the presents he got was two dogs two hairless mexican dogs whoa that uh and the only place they lived is like in a volcano in Mexico. In, in a volcano? Um, okay, so again, speaking yeah. of, of life that flourishes in fucked up areas, there's naked dogs in volcanoes in Mexico. <laughs> naked dogs in volcanoes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and they, they had a little bit of hair just on the top of their head. Just like a little bit of white hair. They kind of look more like a gremlin than anything. And uh, one of the dogs was like a real short, fat-barreled pig kind of looking dog. And the other one name was Crystal. And she wasn't a fat-barreled pig. I mean, neither of them had a lick of hair except for right on the top of their head. And it was white white as the uh, a cloud. They sound so and, cute. Um, yeah, they were so precious. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, one time uh, I was sitting in the living room and my dad uh, went somewhere with Keith, just like in another room, part of the room. And the the dog Crystal was sitting next to me, and she started like uh, she she put her paw on my hand. So I'm thinking, okay, she wants me to pet her. So um, I start petting her, and then um, as I'm petting her, she uh, she starts growling at me. And I'm like, well, shit. Like, uh, so I stopped petting her. And then when I stopped petting her, then I took my hand back. And then she put her fucking paw on my hand again and started growling at me. Uh, so, like, I'm in this weird cycle of, like, petting her and stop petting her and petting her. And I'm like, dad. <laughs> <laughs> I called out because I'm like, this bitch is going to bite me. You're like, what is going on here? Uh, man, yeah, that's just, so uh, bizarre. Uh uh, yeah, total woman thing. Like, touch me. Don't touch me. Touch me. No, no, stop yeah. touching me. Yeah. Like, oh my God, here. I don't, I don't, I'm a man. I'm way too simple for this. Do you want me to touch you or not? This is terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was oh there's a bunch gosh. of mixed signals there. Uh. Yeah, but tell me what what happened with your dogs? What what? Uh, um, well, we've had our dogs for a long, long time. Uh, we uh, I think twelve or thirteen years. Poncho and Peanut. They're both like yeah. Chihuahua looking terrier mixes. They're like big Chihuahuas, like twelve or thirteen pounds. We've had them forever, dude. Sarah and I got Poncho first when we were just barely first starting to date, and um, maybe a year later we got Peanut. Both of them were adopted. Poncho was uh, not like formally adopted. He just kind of got loose in the neighborhood because he was an escape artist and ran into my mom's garage in her old house in Corona. And my mom kept him for a little while and she's always been been like Dr. Doolittle. So Poncho found her and she kept him and my wife and I really liked him. So we, we adopted him, took him home. He's awesome. And then uh-huh. later on, maybe a year later, we were at Petco or PetSmart getting food for Poncho and then they had a uh, an animal adoption thing there where they had a bunch of animals on display, like, hey, take one of them home. And we found Peanut, who looked just like Poncho, and she was doing some funny stuff. And we thought, oh, we should adopt her. Poncho needs a friend. He, she looks just like him. They could be like brother and sister. So we adopted Peanut formally at one of those adoption events at Petco or PetSmart. And we've had them both yeah. ever since. And they are like brother and sister. They've been like our kids for our entire relationship together through dating for five or six or however many years and then we've been married for uh almost 10 years and uh they're like our kids and poncho just in october uh started getting really bad and passed away in october Mm. and i'm sorry oh dude i can't even i can't even describe how crushing it was um because they just become your kids and yeah I, I honestly, I, I have an extra level of sadness and guilt because I was always a really great dog dad. He was like our kids. And then when we actually yeah. had kids um, three years ago, I became a much less attentive dog dad and treated him like he was just in the way and like essentially like, dude, no time for you. I got real kids now. And uh, he was very backburnered by me, not my wife. My wife always stayed a good dog mom, but I... Definitely was not a good dog dad for the last years of his life, so I feel guilty about that. But um, he passed away. It was very shitty. And then now our uh, Peanut, uh, his sister, uh, uh, our girl dog, she's still with us. Um, after Poncho passed, man, she went through and is still going through like a total behavioral change and like clearly depressed because her yeah. her brother's gone. I mean, they've been together for so long. And she has not been in good health for a long time. It's honestly a little surprising that Poncho went before she did because she's been diabetic for years. We give her two shots of insulin every day. She's very, um, uh, not in great health, but she's always been very hardcore. We call her like our little gangsta. Like she's just, she's street dude. She's, she's fucking hardcore. And, um, she's just trucking along, dude. And she's still having health problems. Diabetes is still there, but that doesn't even seem to be her main health problem. Like she goes through th- periods of like throwing up a lot and and uncontrollable peeing and all that kind of stuff. And and I don't know how much time she has left. But after I lost Poncho, or after we lost Poncho, and I felt so bad for being a crap dog dad to him at the end, uh, it made me want to be a better dog dad to Peanut now in her in her golden years. So I'm really trying to be more attentive and and uh take good care of her and it sucks watching them decline but you know i think a lot of people would just kind of say like oh they're they're not living a great life they're not running around and playing anymore they're you know sickly so it's time to put them to sleep and 
that's just not how we see it, dude. Like they're not in, she's not in pain. She's obviously not running around and all that. She pretty much sleeps all day, but she's eating and peeing and you know, she's, she's, uh, she's our little girl, you know, so we're not going to pull the plug yeah. on her prematurely. Um, we're, we're keeping her yeah. around. Um, so that's where we're at. We're just kind of trying to take care of her and make her comfortable. That's, that's a, that's a term. Yeah. Make her comfortable that once the doctors, or in this case, the vets start saying like, oh, you know, we have her checked out. Like, oh, what's wrong with her? Well, you know, she's really old and there's not a lot we can do for what's wrong with her. So at this point, all we can really do is make her comfortable. That's the tough thing to hear. Cause really what they're saying is she's on her way out, dude. Um, you know, yeah. just feed her what she likes. Um, sure. Fatty food's not good for her, but uh, just make her comfortable. Give her what she likes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's where we're at with peanut hospice. It's like hospice care. Yeah. My dad and uh, aunt have dogs that are both 14 and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's coming its way too. Um, they, they're both bracing for that. And uh, yeah, it's never tough. an easy thing. No, it, it um, really isn't. Have you gone through many of those? I mean, have you had animals growing up? I've never known you to be an animal guy. Did you have dogs and animals when you were a kid? You moved a lot, so probably not, no? Yeah, well, just cats. Like right. we, we did have a cat. Uh, our, our main cat, me and my brothers had um, when I was younger. His name was Thomas. And he lived to about 16. And wow. um, yeah, we we grew up with him. We were real close with him. And then I moved away. I, I moved to California and like about three years went by. And then I went back out to Tennessee and visited my parents. And then I remember I was just laying on um, the bed on my back and uh, out of nowhere, like he, he came up and he laid on, on my chest and just staring right at my face, just like laying on my chest and that was like his goodbye. Yeah. Because he knew he was going. Yeah. And uh, after I left, he passed away. And it was just, yeah, I definitely had a bond with that cat. Yeah. Yeah. Animals are, are amazing yeah. and their awareness of their own um, when it's time. And uh, uh, yeah, they do things like that where they, they kind of say goodbye to you and you may not even recognize it right at the time, you know, but then after yeah, exactly. it happens, you go, right. oh, damn. Yeah, uh -huh. and it just yep. fucking, oh, it just wrecks you. It reduces you to just yeah. a, a sobbing mess, dude. It's just, man, they are, uh, you know. But they're the one, the most wonderful thing ever. Like, we've even talked about, like, okay, we're going through a lot of heartache right now. Like, Poncho left, the Poncho passed, that was devastating. Christmas was hard without him. Um, watching Peanut decline is very hard, but we're trying to be good caregivers. After Peanut goes... We will be devastated, and the house will never be the same with no dogs. We've had dogs for our entire relationship. We've had them for, like I said, I think 13 years or 12 or 13 years. And uh, yeah. um, we it would just will be really weird without them. But then my wife and I are like, I don't, like okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to want to get new dogs? Um, or, you know, I think my answer is I want to take a break for a while. Like, I don't want to just run out and get a puppy uh, right away. Um so I don't know. I, I'm sure we will get a dog or other dogs later. I think it's good for kids. Our boys would love to have dogs to play with. So I think that's good. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to think about right now at the point we're at with our dogs. But, um, you know, the joy that the animals bring you is, is so worth this terrible time of decline and separation. 
that uh, you know it just is what it is. That that's life anyway, right? Yeah, people, yeah. dogs, and yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah, I know. It's uh it's one of those things where and and you're teaching. I mean, I hate saying you're teaching your kids that, but it kind of is true. Um, but it, you're teaching them part of life, uh, and you know, well, a sad part of life, well, I, but I, I, it's a part of life. That's an interesting point because dealing with it with yourself is really, really hard. And then you have kids that you need to explain this to, and it's different for everyone in every situation and especially like every age range of your kid. So our kids were, uh, just a few months old. So totally unaware that dogs are even a thing. And then our other boy was like two and a half when Poncho passed and is now almost three with Peanut declining. And he's very aware of what's going on, but obviously doesn't understand what death is. But it was an opportunity for us to um, begin teaching him what death is. And I wasn't sure how to approach it or what to say. So we read some articles, and and we came down on the side of being very clear. Um, Obviously not too explicit, but being very clear. And not saying things like, oh, he went to doggy heaven, or he's just gone for a while. Um, We fell on the side of telling him that Poncho was sick, um, Poncho went to the doctor, and Poncho passed away. And he's never coming back. And um, we're not religious, so we don't choose the doggy heaven explanation. Um, We chose Poncho, he passed away, and that means that now he becomes part of the earth. And he is a part of all the trees and the breeze and the sea and the, and the and the grass and he's a part of everything now and that's what happens to all of us. We're all a part of the earth and uh, and that that was pretty much how the explanation went. And now my boy uh, says that a lot of times where he'll say um, you know he'll talk about peanut or see peanut or talk he'll bring Poncho up sometimes out of the blue and he'll just kind of say Poncho passed away. He's 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 part of the earth now, uh, meaning I know he's thinking about it, so he brings it up, you know, and then we yeah. just reinforce that, like, yeah, baby, Poncho was very sick and and he passed away, but he'll always be in our hearts, and and he's he's part of the earth now, and that's that's just our story, and that's how we've dealt with it, and uh, it, it's really hard when your kid brings that up, and we're struggling with it in our own heart, like we just both, my wife especially, will still just burst out crying from time to time when something reminds her of him or whatever, like. Um, she's, she's had a really hard time with it emotionally. And when your son just goes, mommy, Poncho passed away. Uh, I mean, she's just trying not to just collapse in a heap of tears, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, it's hearing it from such an innocent child. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't because that's not good for the boys. So she keeps it together and then walks around the corner, goes into the, into the pantry and just fucking collapses, you know, that sort of thing. And it's just tough, Uh dude, but, but it's life, you know, and it, and it is an opportunity for them to be exposed to what life really is for better and for worse. And, uh, it's just life. So, you know, not a particularly great aspect of it, but we could also say that death is what makes life so beautiful. So. It's very true. So there's that too. RIP, Poncho. Uh, so on that incredibly uplifting note, um, I think we should wrap, Derek. I'm going to go collapse into a heap of tears, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, this was a really fun conversation. We got into some really fun yeah. stuff today, man. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, we did. It went by really fast. Yeah. We're already at an, at an hour and a half. It doesn't feel like it at all. Yeah. No, no doubt, man. All right. Well, stuff. you enjoy the rest of your day. Great talking to you. And... Uh, Say hi to the family for me, all right? Will do. All right, same to you, Mike. All right, brother. Take it easy, man. All right. All right, see you, man. (laughs) 
Hey, this is Mike. Thanks a lot for listening. We really hope you're enjoying the show. We have a great time doing it for you. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod or on our website, DerekandMike.com. And uh, don't forget to subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app. That would be super cool. Helps us out a ton. And it also makes sure that you get notified every time we put out a new episode. Also, if you know of anyone else who might like the show, share it with a friend. Tell someone who might dig it. That would be super cool. We'd really appreciate any support you can give us. Uh, We really appreciate you. And we can't wait to talk to you next time. And until then, have a good one.